It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and welcome to Coronavirus Lockdown Episode 8. We think I've lost count. Is it still May? <laughs> along those lines and to join me today as we scrape our fingernips through this you know thing that we're stuck at home with and he's, he's just as stuck at home as we are is mr marcus green how are you sir i'm good i had to get back on here with you and this uh always seems to help in, in difficult times so yes this is it this is the this is the kind of thing that sets us free wrestling will always bring the world together left right different political persuasions if there's wrestling we're all good and we've got some nice wrestling to watch we're going to continue our ring of our 18th anniversary uh kind of uh look back at some careers of some major players in the professional wrestling industry we've done two episodes with mr alex watt i hope you enjoyed those where we looked at daniel bryan cm punk uh kevin steen and el generico who is still in mexico with the with with the orphans we did check yep still there um, and we thought we'd round it off with two major players that both me and Marcus are very familiar with from our TNA watching career, as we are both reformed TNA fans. <laughs> but before they were TNA wrestlers and before they were WWE wrestlers, they were Ring of Honor wrestlers. They both had two stints in the pre-Impact Wrestling and the post-Impact Wrestling era. And these two tapings kind of like mix and match of those. Now, Alex Watt was massively into Ring of Honor in the early 2000s. It was what really hooked him on professional wrestling and indie wrestling specifically. Marcus, you and Alex are kind of the same age. I think you're a little bit younger. So what were your impressions of Ring of Honor in that 2000 period where these tapes start? And what's your impression of Ring of Honor in the later period where both these two? Because they kind of come back from the second period once they both finished up with Impact Wrestling. So what are your thoughts on, on Ring of Honor generally as a company in those two time periods? Well, it's interesting because obviously um, I uh, fell into wrestling through the uh, eyes of through the eyes of WWE, and then um, as I matured and, and expanded my intellect around the, the craft and where it originated from, and such, and just expanded my my wrestling palette, you know, I, I kind of came to Ring of Honor in the later 2000s. I had always heard about it and, and stuff, but never really got off into it. So when I finally got a chance to do it, it, it ironically enough was uh, a little bit before that period where like the likes of Joe and, and Styles came back. But looking at these tapes, like I 100% get why it was like the hottest thing during that time. I mean, it just all, you know, off the crowd alone. I mean, it, it was rampant. And just yeah. you know, watching um, it, it, it definitely makes you realize why. Like, there's a particular um, low in wrestling right now. We all know why, but you know, just having that 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 crowd, it almost means everything. Um, but Ring in general, I mean, it's just it's interesting to see how far they come, particularly with the the uh, the camera quality. Um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, aesthetics in general. But um, they their foundation has always been rooted in goes on between those ropes, the craft of it, um, and, and that was shown no better than, you know, these uh, two tapes about to go through, um, or these sets tapes about to go through, um, and as far as, they, I've kind of fallen off of it because I feel like they kind of lost their way a little bit. Um, yeah. And interesting because this particular pack of, of uh, wrestlers that we're going to go through in these matches, once a lot of these guys kind of uh, left, it, it kind of Kind of had to refine themselves. Like I said, things transition in in any business is is the norm. But Ring of Honor has kind of kind of fallen down a little bit. Um, but but I think things are going to turn around uh, coming up. Hopefully, after this whole thing, so hopefully for everybody in the industry and entertainment in general. But um, yeah, it just really made me miss. Um, you know, the brass tacks of what, what we love about this sport the most uh, without all the, the blow-createdness that we've kind of grown to know around uh, uh, fall finish and such, which we'll get off into. But, you know, it's the simplistic thing that makes this what we love so much about this this craft. Um, 
best thing that we, you know, get to watch. So I think, you know, these particular uh, matches in general really just exemplify. Okay, I'm just going to stop and call you back. That sounded okay, but I think we can go a better line. So I'll call you back in a sec, okay? Gotcha. Okay, so here's the thing. The first match we're going to look at, we're going to look at the Samoa Joe 3 today. And it kind of gives you a snapshot. And they're both of these little sections end in the same way with a championship match against uh, the, the then Ring of Honor champion. So we'll go through and lay these matches up. To start with, an absolutely true, legendary, absolute dream match in Samoa Joe versus All Japan and Noah Lenden legend Kenta Kobashi on the 1st of October 2005. This was from the show, Joe versus Kobashi. It doesn't get any better than this. Now, when we talked with Alex earlier we talked well in the previous weeks one of the things we did notice and one of the things about this particular time period for ring of honor was the main events were everything in ring of honor and this was a classic example of what ring of honor about kenta kabashi a legend was really only known to american audiences from tape trading they knew of his reputation he was a dream wrestler to have in north america because he never wrestled in north america he was always with companies that didn't have transferable deals you know all japan was a very closed conservative organization and when the great exodus happened and Noel was formed they started feeling out relationships with other companies and ring of honor was where they landed in north america this predates the new japan ring of honor deal by a good 10 years Noel was the go-to organization you had people like kenta and morishima who came and had long stints in or in uh, ring of honor but both were ring of honor world's heavyweight champion but this match kenta kabashi versus Samoa Joe is very special to Ring of Honor history. What are your thoughts on this, Marcus? Because this is actual proper dream match territory, and it was something that American fans had not seen in a very long time. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's beautiful. I mean, I think the best compliment I could give it, the best two compliments I could give it was, uh, first off, if, you know, because we've seen so much over the last, uh, feels like a week or whatever, of uh, discussions about how people feel about wrestling and the whole discussion once again came up about being fake or whatever. But this <laughs> match that I would literally point to anybody, uh, whether they knew anything about, about the art form or not, and be like, look, you may think this is a joke, you may think this is whatever, but even if you never come back to it, you're going to enjoy this match. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to know anything about the get the, either guy, what's going on, what's the name of this, what's the name of that. You're going to watch this. You're going to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, the the second column is, like, normally when we watch stuff like this, uh, you know, specifically stuff in New Japan, uh, you know, we catch ourselves smiling and grinning. I mean, really with anything we love. But this match, you would have thought that I was combing through sec- security footage for the FBI. I was so locked in. <laughs> And I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't. I didn't want to miss, you know, a, a mannerism, uh, a count, a beat of sweat, a shot of the audience. Uh, like I went back. I'm like, holy hell, is that Jay Lethal? Like I was like, I was 100 <laughs> into this match. I spent like an additional 20 minutes uh, on it because I was just I was stopping it every minute so I could make sure I caught everything. But that's just how good it was. Um, like this, this really is. Uh, know Alex for the best. I think he said this is the best wrestling match he's ever witnessed. And I, I really can't argue with anybody that, that says it. I mean, it, it really is the best of what, you know, we love about it is. You know, it's it's not, you know, over-exaggerated. It's not too on the play. It's just the right amount of, it's everything that, that you know, like I said, we know about the sport and these two guys, you put it together with that ravenous crowd. 100% glued into every aspect of it, and it's the perfect storm. Yeah, I mean, just to go into the match a little bit, you know, Joe and Kabashi like literally lock up, and I think Joe backs Kabashi in the corner, and there's a break, and then they do it again, and this, the fans start shouting, "This is awesome!" Before they've even done anything, you know, of note. This, this is like I, you very rarely get to see fans so clued into a match before it starts. Now, it is dream match territory. This is exactly what Ring of Honor was built for. You know, Ring of Honor, back in the Rob Feinstein days, and the less said about him, the better, but back in the RF video days, the whole point of Ring of Honor was to sell videotapes. They had a tape trading, well, tape, not trading, tape trading is the wrong word. 
They were a company that sold commercial international tapes from companies like All Japan and from, and from NOAA. And they wanted an American organization to fill out their catalog. So that's how they started Ring of Honor. It was kind of like bankrolling Ring of Honor. Corey Silken and, and Rob Feinstein were bankrolling Ring of Honor with uh, Gabe Sapolsky as the booker to create an organization that was creating videotape. And the idea was that, you know, they were trying to sell things. And this is exactly the kind of match that, that they really excelled at, which was the dream matchup, two stars from two different backgrounds coming together. And, you know, when they booked this, this was before the Noah deal really struck home. So it was just Kabashi on his own. And Kabashi had really no clue why he was in North America, because it was like, who knows who I am? quite understandably and kibashi kind of thought he was being brought in as a you know sneaky japanese heel in the old style of mr fuji and so on and so when they tried to lay the match out it was like no 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 we want kenta kibashi we want the whole nine yards and by god they got the whole nine yards this is kibashi you know, um, Alex Shane here from WrestleTalk TV um, has often said, you know, he booked, I've talked with Alex about this myself, and he booked um, like Kabashi and he booked the Sour. And they were very precise. You had to have a certain number of yards from the dressing room to the ring. They would only work a certain distance. If it was wrong, they were going home. But <laughs> made it very clear. And you had to have a payoff in a certain place. It was an incredibly political thing to book this guy. You know, it was a whole story of how you got this guy to get into a ring. And then you watch him wrestle. And Kabashi isn't at the end of his time, but he's had 12 years in the main event spotlight, maybe 14 years, and he's beginning to slow down at this point. And you can tell by the way he walks. But those first three chops ring in, and he's on song, and he's starting to loosen up, and he gets moving, and they produce an absolute classic. And like uh, Marcus and Alex said, this is, this is not up for doubt. In this period... What Ring of Honor were doing, this exemplifies what they were after. It matched that King's Road style that All Japan and Noah were doing, which was really the big influence on Ring of Honor. People like, I think it gets misnomer that Ring of Honor was a strong style promotion. They were certainly influenced by New Japan Pro Wrestling, and a lot of their guys like Christopher Daniels and Eddie Edwards and uh, David Richards went to work. Well, not Eddie Edwards because he went to Noah, but David Richards went to uh, New Japan. But it was really that King's Row, Kabashi, Misawa, Teyu, Kawada style that really was what they were building Ring of Honor around. And this is a good example of how it matched up. Is there anything else you want to say about this match, Marcus? You're a big fan of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, we almost spent the whole hour just talking about this match alone. Um, <laughs> but it is that phenomenal. But, I mean, I think like my two favorite things, one, like Joe, and, and this is this is peak form Joe, uh, some old Joe right here. Um, but that, like, it, like it, the beginning of the match, like you said, it, it's funny because the crowd was so into this match, it almost felt like it was a triple threat. Um, like, they were that invested into the match. I mean, you had Kobashi, like, at the start of the match, it was cool, calm, collected, then obviously the, the slaps kind of ripped him up. But it really felt like between, like, the Joe and the crowd, he really turned up to another level towards, like, the middle and the end of this thing. And I think my favorite part was when she, it got to the point like them and Joe trade like chops at the beginning, and and Joe quickly found out that he wasn't gonna win this chop game and went to the kicks. <laughs> and if he was in his twenties during this match, Kobashi chopped him in his thirties. <laughs> like it was, it was dead. It was dead. Like I, like I thought Walter was the guy. Like no, he was the guy after this guy. So. Yeah, um, and it, it was just it was it was, uh, and, and and we had to talk to you about it because also I know you're going to give all the great uh, juicy tidbits and details of it because it's always more match like this position to get somebody like Kobashi and then a guy like Joe, what maybe seven years in his career. Yeah, I mean like Joe's not long for going to Impact Wrestling for full time after this. How yeah. is it? 2007, 2008, that big feud with Angle. Um, they, they were splitting time between the two companies. And, you know, Kabashi in those chops. You know, I've seen Kabashi training. Like when he did his retirement in Noah, they did a documentary on him. It's all in Japanese. I had no clue what they were talking about. But you can tell through the international language of professional wrestling, Noah used to have a training warehouse in Tokyo, right? 
and that was their dojo. And in the dojo is a series of boards which are set into concrete for you to practice your strikes against. And Kabashi would just stand there and chop this board for hours at a time. And they're, they're like they're having this conversation with him, and you just see this board spring back into place. And it's it's thick, heavy wood with a Noah logo on it. It just goes thunk, thunk, thunk. And you see like his hands made of leather. You can just like an old saddle as it just thwacks into this piece of wood. And you yeah. can imagine that those poor rookies in Noah for all those years were getting demolished with one chop. Yeah, like like I say, it was just the little thing that I definitely paid attention because and obviously this is a part of it, but um very it feels like it was very intentional when he unleashed those machine guns in the corner at one point. Very intentional to get him on the opposite side of his heart because he may have stopped it. <laughs> you know, opposite side, like that was, which is, which is, you know, I think we've talked about before has been a concern um, throughout certain uh, points in, in in wrestling. But yeah, that was uh, he earned every bit of the respect that he got uh, watching that match, and it was like I say, it was a beautiful start to finish. Seeing a young upstart, Jay Lethal, basically almost practically being a tile boy at that point. Uh, just the crowd, and like they, they gave these two guys, specifically Kobashi, every bit of the respect that they deserve. And I think I read somewhere that Kobashi, I, I think you said it, didn't really feel like he was going to get a certain type of welcome. And I, but I think he, you know, I think they even surprised him with it. So that was, like I said, that was just a different thing. Yeah, it's, just, it's a wrestling match you need to see. If you don't watch any of the other matches, you need to see this professional wrestling match. Just... You know, both of us have kind of ragged on Ring of Honor from time to time for different things, but I will always be grateful then for Joe for Joe versus Kibashi. It needs to be watched. Um, and the only, I mean, the only other thing I got to say about it is like, you know, Joe's still a young guy and he has such poise in this match, and he walks in against Kibashi and he doesn't look out of place. He does not for one second look out of his depth. And this is a tape celebrating Samoa Joe, and we should recognize that. You know, this this is Joe at his absolute athletic peak he's been the most dominant ring of honor champion ever and he comes into this match with such a reputation but obviously Kibashi's reputation far exceeds anyone on the ring of honor roster ever had but he doesn't look out of pace with Kibashi does he no and that and that's the point I mean this is why you know Joe was so touted you know when he first stepped into and like he he just it's hard for a lot of guys to they can look a lot of ways, but to have an aura about yourself is is, is not, not easy. And Joe Joe had that space. And if he if there was any intimidation in this match um, that he felt, he didn't show it. Um, but I'm pretty sure like nobody was happy for that match to be over than him by the time it was. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is this whole thing. And obviously, we're gonna get more into it as we keep going. But this really just makes me miss Joe on a consistent basis. Even him yeah. not being where he was like uh back then, like Joe is just, he's a unique guy that we don't get a lot of times, uh get to see a lot, um, do what he can still do. Um at, when he's completely just unhinged, you wanna watch somebody like something like himself, you know. This is this is Joe's gonna kill you, Joe. We don't get that Joe anymore. You know, this yeah. this is the guy that, that set the re- indie wrestling scene in North America alight. This is the guy that redefined what it meant to be a big man wrestler, redefined what it meant to be a submission style wrestler for the modern age. You know, it, it, it attached and approached all sorts of character work to this straight ahead guy. He was, a you know, he was a killer. That was his gimmick. Joe's going to kill you. You know, a chant that was adapted for Sarah Del Rey and Mako Satamora by the Shikara fans. But it was Joe who was there first. You know, this was a guy who genuinely looked as terrifying as he wrestled and had this mindset about him that made you, like you said, made it look realistic. You know, of all the things that are said about modern day wrestling, oh, it's, it's, it's cookie cutter, it's all these things. You looked at Joe and he meant it. Absolutely meant it, and he meant it a lot of guys to make them look even better, you know. And I think, especially when you look at Impact, that tag team he had with Nick Aldis made Nick Aldis a viable main event contender. You know, they he he had such rub on him. The the feud with Angle, you know, it, 
this was kind of precursor to the feud with Angle. Angle's one of the greatest North American wrestlers who ever lived. And yeah. Joe did not look at one step behind Kurt Angle through that entire feud. You know, and, and it's the same thing here. Kurt, I, Joe is a presence. And to be fair to him, I think he probably would have made it in the WWE straight after this run. But it was just he was just not a guy they were looking for at the time. And, you know, and when he finally did go, he kind of got there in record time, really. He kind of like went from NXT fodder to main event status on the main roster relatively quickly compared to a lot of other people. They kind of got the best out of him they could in NXT and they moved him straight up the roster. And that's the thing that always like impresses me about Joe. He's had times when he's probably not tried as hard as been a bit demotivated, certainly in his TNA run. But he always comes out on top and he always when he finds motivation there is not a better wrestler on the planet than Samoa Joe. Absolutely. Okay, then move on to nine and a half years later, um, and Samoa Joe makes his re-debut on Ring of Honor TV. But of course, back then, when he was with Ring of Honor before, there was no Ring of Honor TV. It was a straight-to-DVD format. There was no streaming. Streaming had not been invented then. Uh, Ring of Honor TV with Steve Carino and with Kyle O'Reilly. Oh, sorry, with uh, the... Kevin Kelly, yeah. Kevin Kelly on, on commentary. This was an entirely different world. This was the 3rd of July, 2015, Ring of Honor TV, and makes his re-debut against the then Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion, Kyle O'Reilly. Um, and this is a really interesting match, because Kyle O'Reilly was kind of in his ascendancy, and Joe comes, Joe comes in, and he has to have a killer performance on his debut. He kind of needs to demolish somebody. And he didn't quite demolish O'Reilly, but he wasn't far off, which was a brave move, because you know, within 18 months, Kyle O'Reilly would be Ring of Honor World's champion. So that was a brave move to do that at the time. What are your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, I, I really, I really dug this. I mean, first off, I mean, again, credit to that that Ring of Honor uh, faithful and, and that crowd. They loved it uh, when he came through that curtain. Uh, and again, I just missed so many things about, uh, you know, Joe and, and seeing him in this form like this. And, uh, particularly just missing Ring of Honor um, during this time period. Like I said, you know, guys like Joe and, and, and O'Reilly and, and Fish um, no longer there. It, it was felt when they left, but while they were there, I mean, it, it was it was phenomenal. And it's interesting because I felt like you could have gotten just as good of a match out of either one of these guys because we know how good Fish and O'Reilly are. Um, but this, this match, I thought this was a really great match. I mean, you know, O'Reilly had a game plan. I think he was targeting the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't just certain things you just can't match with Joe. But he can last. You know, and if you can let you last with him, you know, um, maybe able to get it done. But again, you know, Joe got in some, he got back in female condition and he looked great. That tap out music is like the perfect music for him. Um, yeah. It really is. And uh, a lot of people, he looked look great. I mean, I, obviously, I think this was after the impact scene, obviously, and uh, uh, so I absolutely see no reason why he didn't feel refreshed after that after that extended period he uh, spent time in the impact. But yeah, I thought it was really good. Like you said, didn't get the bottom but it wasn't fall. And again, that's kind of what, what you want to see from Joe specifically when not too long after this he was going to prime opportunity. So I just thought it was really good. Um, but like I said, the crowd loved it. It's always good to see uh, two guys like this who have similar but very uh, contrasting styles at the same time being able to link up and, and have instant chemistry. You don't get that a lot of times, even if it's a guy's talented as a style of joke. Sometimes that chemistry just doesn't mix, but, but here it did. It is a bit of a snapshot in time, this match as well. I mean, uh, Red Dragon, Kyle O'Reilly and uh, Bobby Fish were both doing well in Ring of Honor, but they were both doing well in New Japan Pro Wrestling. They were having matches with, well, they were feuding with Rapingi 3K over the junior heavyweight titles and that kind of ridiculous match where Tiger Tori blew the finish. <laughs> and then um, there was that they were having singles matches with Katsuyori Shibata over the Never Openweight Championship. And it was kind of rumored at the time that it was a kind of tryout for them to go up to heavyweight. I think Ghetto was really big on on both Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, more Kyle O'Reilly, I think. Uh, and it would have been interesting to see which way they would have gone if they'd have stayed in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But 
They both got big single runs in Ring of Honor. Kyle O'Reilly ended up as Ring of Honor heavyweight champion. Bobby Fish ended up as Ring of Honor world television champion. And then they both went on to WWE. So it is really kind of an important match in the history of the snapshot of where Ring of Honor was. Joe comes into Ring of Honor and he's kind of like public knowledge that he's going to WWE in the long run. Because why wouldn't WWE hire him? You know, and Triple H is was kind of rumored to be interested in him at the time. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a snapshot of where the industry was going to go within the next two years. In 2015 was an important year for pro wrestling. And if we look back on it now, and especially with the two wrestlers we're looking at today, things that could be very different if they stayed put, gone somewhere else, got picked up by somebody else. This is This is kind of a zenith period, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. Like I said, those, those group of guys, you know, to have somebody like, you know, uh, Joe and others come back during that period, um, e- even if it was a short pitch out on, on their way to somewhere else, it was really cool, not only for the company, but for those guys to come back and really get to their roots and, and, and show appreciation and get it back from that fan base and, and clash with guys like, you know, uh, O'Reilly and Fish and others who, uh, they may have not gotten a chance to do elsewhere because these guys could go uh, branch out and go anywhere. Um, but this is definitely it, during that period where things are starting to open up in terms of places you can go. So, but yeah, uh, particularly for Ring of Honor, this was the only time, you know, that it was just really fun to watch it. Um, as we'll talk about some more later. But yeah, this was really a, a, a Xena period for, for Ring of Honor. And like I said, it was cool for Joe to come back through there and really show that he had missed the step, even though it had been, what, uh, eight years or something like that, maybe more. So, um, yeah, really, really, uh, really neat thing to see. I think so as well. I mean, Joe was like, uh, it was nine years between that match with Kobashi and his comeback to Ring on his television. Yeah, nine years. So it was, it it was an incredible kind of time period again, because you've got to remember Joe was working a bunch of independents. I think he was working for Noah as well at the same time. <laughs> he just went over where he wanted to. And he, was, he started with NXT before he finished with Ring of Honor. You know, that's how much respect WWE had for him. He was like, I'm finishing up my dates before I come to you. And they were like, okay, then, well, we need you for TV. Well, you know, I've got to finish with these guys. And they were like, okay. They, they wanted Joe to do the job properly. And that's, that was an incredible thing. It was an incredible time for professional wrestling both me and you were writing for wrestletalk.tv as it was then and um, just starting our writing careers so it, it was a great time to be a wrestling writer uh not a great time to be a wrestling writer now because <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> happening um but yes um anyway we'll move on to the next match which was samoa joe versus jay briscoe the then ring of honor heavyweight champion at supercard of honor nine on the 27th of march 2015 in a warehouse in Toronto, apparently. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit strange, this match. It lacked somewhat in atmosphere because the the actual TV taping stuff was a bit ridiculous. Um, and the, the actual production values for this were not great. Having said that, this match was very, very good. I don't think it's as good. No, it's never going to be as good as the Kibashi match. But it was better than the O'Reilly match. It was a pay-per-view main event. Now, it, in hindsight, it was pretty obvious that Jay Briscoe was going to win, let's be honest. You're not yep. going to put out on a guy who's just driving through and you have no idea how long he's going to stay, but you can use him to get your champion over, which is what they did. Um, Jay Briscoe is a guy who I love to watch wrestle, but I just wish he'd never talk. And he, he has some wrong opinions, which we have been critical of in the past on this show, and I'm not going to change my mind on that. But I never doubted his ability as a main event performer and his ability as a world champion for Ring of Honor. He matches that company down to the ground for good or for ill. His attitude at the time matched the attitude of the workers and the fans of that company. Ring of Honor's fans in the last four years have evolved an awful lot. But back then, the fans in the audience didn't feel much different to what Jay Briscoe was as a wrestler. Uh, I think I said the other day, like, it seemed like in 2015, Ring of Honor had the same fans they had in 2006. It was just that they were the same people. They hadn't, they'd just grown up with the company. And I said it in a negative way then, but there is the positive of the fact they were loyal to that company. And they still are. There's just more of them. 
but there's been a more diverse kind of base with that company they've tried really hard to try and stretch their base you can tell at the minute like ring of honor are doing very unring of honor like things paying all their staff wrestlers and referees whilst they're off work for instance you know other companies which are less conservative than ring of honor at least politically haven't done that so i think you know there's a lot to said for ring of honor trying to create a better corporate image for themselves and i think really when jay briscoe was champion it seemed to be a different company to me but they started making amends there when jay briscoe said some well let's be honest homophobic things on twitter and was rightly reprimanded for it and was came out and apologized and set himself down and said look i'm sorry i said the wrong thing and did actually did give a full and proper apology it was it was an awkward time for ring of honor as far as fandom wrestling was concerned but that doesn't take away from the fact that this match was excellent and did what they very the very best thing they could do with joe when they're going for a short period of time what's your thoughts on this one marcus yeah i mean i very much echo um your sentiments 100 percent um it's funny because i've never really been a big uh briscoe guy specifically jay um doing this run but i i I appreciated his run when I was watching it because it, it was it was a good it was a good run it was a good run it it wasn't fraught with a whole bunch of shenanigans uh, as much as it could have been depending on his opponent but he was he was a strong champion and I one hundred percent agree it felt very symbiotic in terms of his relationship and his his demeanor when it came to you know how that crowd responded to him um, and uh, obviously you know like you said for Illiful, Worse, you know, it was what it was at the time, but he was what they needed at the time. Um, and obviously, you know, he, like you said, with, with Joe, I think it would have been really cool to see Joe regain that championship. Um, but you're not going to put it on a guy who is practically out the door, uh, which, is, which is ironic because we talked about the particular reign uh, of O'Reilly. who felt like he spent his entire career ring of honor trying to get that championship. Um, and then was subsequently leave not too long after he got it. But, yeah, like you said, it was a really good match. Um, Chris was somebody who can definitely match a certain level of intensity with Joe, which you're not going to get with a lot of guys. And, um, yeah, I definitely think if he could have hit that muscle buster, which was kind of like the story of the match, if he could have hit that muscle buster, it would have been open. So, yeah. um, it, it was good. It, it was some good stuff. Like I said, the, the way the end was 100% logical. He stunned him and caught him. Jake really was over, and we all know how much that, that – uh, particular finish has been protected, and uh, it wasn't a squash by any means. He earned every bit of that victory, and it was cool hearing uh, Adam Cole, uh, who has always been a, a really fine talker on commentary with Kelly, going back and forth with some good stuff. Not babbling back and forth, but actually some good verbiage back and forth, about not only between the two of them, but the match, which um, as long Impact fans, me and James aren't always accustomed to when it comes to commentary. <laughs> so, Oh, that that was appreciated. But yeah, yeah. Also, I really missed that that uh, that, that Ring of Honor championship during that time period. Got that championship belt. Yeah, that. I, 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 I assume, I'm assuming not the Jay Briscoe one with the Confederate flags on it. No, no. God <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no the, other <laughs> the other one, I felt like that perfectly uh, encapsulated. The company with that that old school um, homage, with the modern feel to it. I feel like the ones now are kind of more, you know, uh, more uh, showy and uh, not necessarily in the best way. But it is what it is. Like I said, they very much tried to uh, try to invest the modernized thing, uh, the aspects, a lot of aspects of their product expanding into hands, and uh, you know, that's all you can do trying to grow. You know, you feel stagnation and talk about they've kind of been stuck a certain platform for a while so I get trying to explain out that but certain things aren't broke and it, and it sucks in but uh, you see companies try to fix them but you know here's what it is okay then I'm going to call you back again because you're starting to break up again so give me a sec yeah okay then right we shall move on to AJ Styles. Now, AJ was one of the Ring of Honor originals. He was in that opening match with Loki and Christopher Daniels, uh, which main evented the first Ring of Honor show. Um, and he has been with the company on and off for the following 15 years. It was uh, really 
the how can I put it? It was him that was a catalyst behind moving to Impact Wrestling or TNA Wrestling as it was then full time. That he chose Impact over Ring of Honor. So he was one of the guys who left kind of early. He was a pure wrestling champion. He was never the Ring of Honor champion in his first main run um, and never won the championships at all in his run there, which is kind of surprising when you think about it because you kind of associate AJ Styles with Ring of Honor as one of their true stars. So in 2006, the first match starts at Hellfreeze is over with AJ Styles versus Matt Seidel. At the time, Matt Seidel was an up-and-coming star. He'd had some time in Impact Wrestling. He'd had some time in IWA Mid-South. He was establishing himself on the circuit. He was a phenomenal high flyer. He didn't have the body he has now. He had just started with Dragon Gate. He had just started with Ring of Honor, and he was trying to develop it. He, long, he had a long series feud with Delirious, which was his kind of like signature feud in the companies he worked with, and no, Ring of Honor was no different. Uh, but AJ Styles versus Matt Seidel was kind of a dream match of the flyers. Seidel had just joined the new generation, which would turn into the big heel camp in Ring of Honor at the time. Um, he debuted with Daisy Hayes, another Shikara trainee who was really important to the history of Ring of Honor and Women of Honor, who would end up leaving uh, him and joining uh, the Embassy, which was the other big heel stable in Ring of Honor at the time. There's a lot of history tied up in the tradition of Ring of Honor within this particular matchup. I don't think it would necessarily be as good as the matches they could have now, partly because they're both, well, you know, 17 years older and know exactly what they're doing. Um, and Seidel has burned a lot of bridges in the meantime, to be honest with you. And we will probably never see this match again. So it's a very rare beast. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Well, that's, that's such a great point you make about um, them particularly having a um, far better match now. And not, not because it wouldn't be entertaining, but, you know, like I said, I've matured with my, uh, a lot of my perspectives about wrestling and, and you know, the ins and outs of it. A lot of it uh, because of my the relationship I built with you and gaining all the knowledge from your, um, your world of, of wrestling uh, knowledge. But so much of, you know, a, a great match is not just doing something that's the wise of it. Yeah. You know, um, style styles has is, is definitely um, shown that you got an older that that's an even huge, you know, bigger component of his 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 particular style because you just you know all the time is is undefeated and you know both him and Sadell they they've had injuries is that the third like you said bridges with Sadell but you know it would be so much more methodical now and moves like that that crazy finish might not even be done. Might be attempted um, in a, in a way, but they'll come up with some way to make it uh, mean more instead of just getting a ooh type of deal from the crowd. So, um, like I said, they're definitely far more knowledgeable about what they're doing in between the ropes. Although it was cool to see two baby versions of them, um, yeah. and just how free spirited it was. But um, yeah, it, it, it will definitely be a, a phenomenal match, no pun intended. Um, now but just just for far better reasons yeah yeah it is very much like it's it's also oh he's he's wearing pvc tights it's so early 2000s (laughs) (laughs) almost practically frosted tips the hair dripping wet long before the rains of it all I have to mention this. All right, I I'm a I subscribe to Motor Trend. Okay, I watch Roadkill and I'm a big fan of of those shows. Okay, and they've just they merged with Discovery last year, so Discovery has dumped all of their European content onto Motor Trend, and God knows what the Americans are making of it. There's a show called Rick to Riches from about 2003 where they take crashed cars and rebuild them, and the first episode is this 17 year old lad from Essex who's got frosted tips, pair of jeans, and he's going something, oh, I quite like it to be a bit masculine, really. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. And, and he has it, it, just like he's what he's kind of like what an AJ Styles fan would look like. <laughs> but, yeah, frosted tip and PVC tights. Very short PVC tights as well. And Matt Seidel doesn't actually fill out his tights quite enough, I feel. Could do with putting some weight on. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. 
it was the, it was the early 2000s we were all different people then in fact to be honest with you i was just in my 30s so that shows you how old i am anyway <laughs> we'll go on to the next match which was after aj styles left impact wrestling and after aj styles debuted with new japan pro wrestling and he was IWGP heavyweight champion. He had left Impact Wrestling kind of on a sour note, but perhaps with the best send-off of any wrestler ever, where he managed to kick out of everybody in the heel dressing room's finisher, um, bizarrely. And I, as I remember talking about it at the time with um, Ben Spindler, when we first started the Troopany show, it was that long ago. Yeah, 2014. And I said at the time, well, surely all Ring of Honor have to do is get AJ pinned in a five-minute squash and everybody in the Impact locker room isn't as good as their wrestler, whoever they get to pin him. And sure, <laughs> that's it for that. <laughs> and all Ring of Honor at that time, it would have been Cheeseburger. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, they had more sense than that. But equally, it was still a dumb idea from Impact Pro Wrestling. And of course, AJ Styles walked into uh, New Begin. Well, it was yeah, it was New New Beginnings, uh, and challenged Kazuchika Okada, that TNA young boy, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and then would win it at Pro Wrestling Dontaku uh, with the help of Yujiro turning on Chaos and joining Bullet Club. And of course, he was IWGP Heavyweight Champion and had this weird kind of like diorama of being the most hated heel in New Japan Pro Wrestling by a long, long way, and then going to North America and being absolutely adored by the fans on the Northeast. And Ring of Honor fans absolutely took him to their hearts and welcomed him back with open arms, which was weird. Because <laughs> it's like AJ Styles, and AJ Styles, and AJ Styles was, once they gave him room to give space to what he was doing by himself, he came on leaps and bounds, and I think it had a lot of to do with the confidence that New Japan Pro Wrestling had in him. You know, they took him on, and they treated him like a star, and they presented him like a star, and he hadn't been treated that way. And when he went to Ring of Honor, he made Ring of Honor look better just by his actual presence. It was this star aura that he just didn't, didn't happen in Ring of Honor at the time, and it just raised everything up. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Marcus, but that's what it seemed to me. No, when you were thinking about like all I can see behind what you just said is amen. Um yeah. because you know, and, and it's weird, I think when it comes to the hill thing with New Japan, um just just because of, of that sphere of what it means for somebody like AJ to come in the way that he did as a quote unquote gaijin and, and and take it off of, you know, somebody like Okada, we we've been on a journey with him to get that championship. Uh and for that to go down the way it went down, that's instant because it, it, he's never going to be hated uh, for his in-ring ability. Styles is, is, is time-tested and true in that ring. Um, but it was a different thing for him to come in and do that. Um, and I think over here in the States, by, not only because Bullet Club was just, I mean, it's, it's the high ticket, but in a lot of ways, the people who have been following him from Ring of Honor to Impact, and crazy enough, he's the reason why I started watching TNA in the first place. So I'm kind of getting this Ring of Honor context now. But they they saw him finally kind of get his just due in a lot of ways because, like you said, he was he was the guy in TNA and then he wasn't the guy. But he was always said to be the guy when clearly he wasn't. And then obviously, you know, he had to finally separate. I think for Styles, the reason why I clicked even more, and this goes to your point about the confidence New Japan put in him. He mm. really think he was going to be able to thrive like he did once he left Impact. Yeah. So for him to step out on faith like he did and to get, I mean, he might have been, uh, he probably was overbooked by how many days he had. So for him to sort of go to New Japan and come to Ring of Honor, you know, it, it really, we really was getting the, the AJ Styles that we always should have seen in, in TNA. But, you know, I think, you know, time is everything and everything's happening for a reason. It happened perfectly. Uh, because in a lot of ways, had he been that guy there, he would have gotten into Japan. So, I think as well, they gave him some leadership responsibility, which sounds stupid because Bullet Club's a made-up thing. It's a storyline. But that's not completely true. Bullet Club was the idea of 
Fergal Devitt, that's Finn Balor, and Carl Anderson and uh, Tama Tonga and Bad Luck Farley, they were the guys that started Bullet Club. It was kind of given to Finn Balor to kind of keep him around for another year, to give him a main event run, and to see if he would stay put in New Japan Pro Wrestling because he was due to go and sign with WWE. And they built that themselves with their own bare hands, and they were very protective of that gimmick. And of course, when uh, Ghetto says, I want to put AJ Styles into Bullet Club, they were kind of upset about it, as they quite rightfully were, because it was their group and they didn't want anyone messing with that dynamic. And AJ Styles went to them and said, hey, look, I know you're probably not going to like this with me being here because I'm not one of your guys and I'm not one of your friends. But I want to make this work and I want to make it the best thing I can do and I want to make Bullet Club important. And that was the best thing he did because all of those guys backed him to the absolute hill and they ran with it, you know, he got the title, which meant Bullet Club, by reflection, was the top faction in Japan at the time. And then Anderson and Gallows got rolling with the tag team division. Grew into the role that he had and Farley became the monster we knew he could be. And AJ Styles raised Bullet Club up several notches because without Devitt, they weren't really anything, to be fair to them. I mean, that's really harsh to say, but they weren't clicking together. You know, there was a when the Young Bucks turn up, and then when Dev, when Carl, and, well, sorry, when AJ Styles turn up, Bullet Club starts to rock. They're a unit, and they are the biggest thing in New Japan, and then turn into being the biggest thing in the world, and turn into being the biggest, biggest thing outside of WWE. And then we go to Ring of Honor, and we haven't talked about this match with Adam Cole. We probably should. <laughs> so. Uh, All-Star Extravaganza, that was on the 6th of September 2014, AJ Styles versus Adam Cole. This was a very good wrestling match. I don't think it was as good as it could have been. And I think, again, it would be much better now. I think that's partly because I'm kind of like, how can I put this? When I watch Adam Cole wrestle in person, I've seen him wrestle Will Ospreay on a progress card in Sheffield. I think he's exceptionally good. But when I see him wrestle on TV... All I can see is a guy who isn't really very thick set and is five foot nine and wrestles like a guy who's six foot three. And it kind of puts me off. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I don't know how much my particular critique of Cole is going to complement uh, what you said, but I've always appreciated him from a character's perspective. I think yeah, he's yeah. Always, yeah. I think he's always nailed that. And, and certain things that he does just come so naturally to him. Um, even at his, his, his young age, that it takes guys years beyond him to even start clicking into, uh, which, again, is credit to him. But for me, um, and I'm glad you brought up that perspective about the, the physique and, the, and the, uh, just how he wrestles, but for me, when it comes to his style, he's always been a guy who had a move set of things that he did that I'd rather see other guys do. Yeah. And and that's always taken me out of this match. Like I said, when it comes to his heel work and, and, and doing things and mannerisms, things in between the moves that sets the guys apart from the guys who just do a bunch of moves to do them. Um, he's, he's great at that. It's like, ah, he doesn't really have anything besides character work um, that really kind of just sets him apart that makes me like, oh, my God, I'm about to watch an Adam Cole match. So that's kind of, that's kind of what it is for me. Yeah, he's 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 very good at what he does, and Bebe is brilliant, and he just hits the right spots at the right time. He's an annoying jerk, and I think a lot of that works because he wrestles like somebody who's four inches taller. However, it still doesn't make for compelling matches. So, yeah, I, I think this was good, though. I think it was, and also another thing we talked about, me and Alex talked about the other week, didn't end with a traditional finisher. This one ended with a uh, bloody Sunday DDT from the top rope, you know, which is unusual and really quite reckless. <laughs> but equally, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the Styles Clash. It wasn't the you know uh, Adam Cole's finishers. It wasn't the figure four. So this was a really interesting way to finish a match. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there, right there with you. And depending on what company uh, show you're watching or, or what day of ring on it is, that's a false finish. So I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool and really interesting. And yeah, I, also, is I always had this like weird thing about AJ Styles adopting Finn Balor's, uh, sorry, um, Fergal Devitt's finisher. Just partly because like 
AJ Styles is such like the most conservative, you know, like Southern boy, very... We don't know about his politics, but I'm guessing from what we've heard his public statements err towards the Christian right. Yeah. And Virgil Devitt is this LGBTQI activist, left-wing Republican. <laughs> but again, international language of wrestling. That's the thing, isn't it? Anyway, we'll move on to the last match on the card, which is Jay Lethal versus AJ Styles for the Ring of Honor World Championship at Final Battle on the 18th of December 2015. This was the last really big match for AJ Styles in Ring of Honor and the last real big match on the American independent circuit. Uh, January the 4th, he would hand in his notice alongside Shinsuke Nakamura, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows to Jeddo and the New Japan office before departing onto climbs of a different nature with the WWE. And as send-offs go, this is pretty amazing. Kevin Kelly with Nigel McGuinness and Jerry Lynn on commentary, two former Ring of Honor World's Heavyweight Champions. The Truth, the Book of Truth, Truth Martini, and of course, um, name's forgotten, a picture of her in my head. Uh, Taylor Hendricks. There we go, Taylor Hendricks at ringside for Jay Lethal. Good God. (laughs) Um, This was kind of classic Ring of Honor of the period. The big name coming in for Jay Lethal to cut down. And he did a fantastic job. And AJ Styles was no slouch either. Real big match atmosphere to this match. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Uh, Doug, this was during the time when I was uh, really in the Ring of Honor um, because this was during Jay Lethal's first uh, championship run, which I love. Like that whole stint of him getting a TV title and having a run with that, then uh, slowly but surely growing up into the ranks uh, and then finally taking off Jay Briscoe. I thought they had a really great feud, but his whole run, his whole first run, was really great, and it was so cool to see him uh, evolve like that. Coming out of days, watching him basically, uh, you know, his whole black machismo gimmick um, mm. impact. So it was so great to see that evolution and, and just the whole house two thing. I thought really clicked. So for him to be, you know, at the at the height of reign and then clash with somebody like Styles, and for them to go the way that they did. I mean, it was a, it was a great match, the stuff that they did um, and, and Lethal working 100% heel going out. I mean, who's who's beefing with Jerry Lynn, right? Like, you got to be a specific type. <laughs> like, you really just own one if you're beefing with Jerry Lynn. So, you know, for them to go through what they did and get to that, that end spot in the match, I thought it was just really great, really uh, well executed. Um, and like you said, it was a, it was a and pun intended here, phenomenal send-off. You know, like, he was, he was kind of, you know, passing through, but, you know, he, I, I thought he passed through in a really great way. And this, this was a, a peak performance. Yeah, I, I, again, I think you're right. It's very, it's very much the reminiscent of the time. And you look at the wrestling industry in those five years since then, you know, it, it would have been, well, yeah, it was five years since, well, four years since, the mass exodus from New Japan, which really changed the way the industry worked. All of a sudden, Naito becomes the most popular guy in New Japan pro wrestling because Nakamura is no longer there. Ibushi and Kenny Omega get chances that they wouldn't have got if that if these people were in different places. AEW probably wouldn't exist if those four people hadn't left New Japan and Ring of Honor at that time. You know, it's it's a very important period in modern pro wrestling history because if AEW, if a sorry if those four guys don't leave. It doesn't clear the top of the card in New Japan. It does. It means Kenny Omega is going to be a junior heavyweight for another year. It means that the Young Bucks can't move up to heavyweight because Gallows and Anderson are still there. You know that means Cody Rhodes becomes a different type of character in New Japan Pro Wrestling and a different type of character in Ring of Honor, and therefore it changes the dynamic of the way the whole industry works. And this match is kind of like a symptom of that particular concept the big name who's leaving and you've got to get the best out of him and you've told a story over 18 months with him in the time that you've had him and got the absolute best out of him i think ring of honor as you said as of late has kind of lost something off the fastball and i think marty skull taking over from delirious as the main booker is going to change that however to be fair to him he kind of had the wheels taken out from under them before he got started. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Ring of Honor. 
though it seems to be a lot happier place to work these days. Yeah, that's that's really great to hear specifically coming uh, with you know doing the whole COVID thing and, and uh, doing right by their guys specifically coming off of the heels of that unfortunate Kelly Klein situation. Yeah. So for them to, to kind of be trying to, to, to get on the good foot and, and be more diligent about uh, improving their perception, specifically in the way that they treat their talent, hopefully not just from a financial perspective, but all around, it's, it's, it's good. Like you said, uh, maybe not everything is 100% uh, level in terms of what Marty's role may or may not be able to do, but hopefully, you know, his... his uh, Appointment can really move that company in a better direction because it, it got to the point where they they were uh, underneath impact in terms of public sense. So yes, um, it, it's gone back and forth and bounced up and down, and yeah, it, it, the the number two player spot in North American professional wrestling has kind of been ring of honors for the taking for a lot, for a good part of the last twenty years, and they've held it for bits and pieces, but their perception. Opened the last 12 months of title reigns that didn't go anywhere and things that fell through and bad business practices and people being suspended and then coming back again and then drifting this and you know the supercar you get the supercar at, at Madison Square Garden with Ring of with New Japan Pro Wrestling and then do a bunch of stuff without telling New Japan and unsurprisingly they're upset and the fans are upset because you didn't do the Ring of Honor thing you did the stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, then, then, you're, then you're letting uh, people who are, are bullies in character take fans backstage and bully them for real. Like, yes, and then the perception of the company goes through the floor. So you get so you clear house, and then all of a sudden there's accusations from your female talent that they're not being pushed, which is really hard to defend because clearly they're not being pushed. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's. I think new talent coming into Ring of Honor is really, really good. I'm really interested to see what they do with Session Moth over the period of time because she's like the least Ring of Honor person in the world if she's in Ring of Honor. So I'm intrigued as to what they're going to do, but I think it's going to have a lot more different feel. And, you know, they have a legacy to live up to, as you, me, and Alex have looked at. We have one more selection to do, which, of course, is going to be Tyler Black. And that's the last one of the 18th anniversary shows. We're going to match that up with something else. Because it's not just first fair to do Seth Rollins by himself, and it'd be a very short show. Um, but yes, uh, <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this trip down memory lane in the Ring of Honor careers of AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. Any last things you'd like to say, Marcus? No, well, I man, I'm just uh, glad I got to get on here and talk to you about this. I mean, I think this was this was necessary for me uh, being fans of, of Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, and, and you know, hopefully, you know people who listen to this go back and watch this stuff specifically if nothing else please go back and watch the Samoa Joe and, and Kobashi match um and this you know like I said I'm huge fans and love Styles and Joe but this really just made me appreciate them from a different perspective like I said I got introduced to them in TNA but I didn't really have the foundational history uh which just now gives so you know I, I think you know when these when it's all said and done these these hopefully these guys get the the respect uh and know a rider that they deserve for kind of the just the, the strongholds that they had, you know, styles coming up as this young, uh, you know, uh, uh, just almost seems like a once a lifetime talent. And like you said, but Joe was one of those guys who really was a redefining uh, figure in terms of what big men could or should or would not, wouldn't do and all that. And he really, you know, challenged that and broke both. Uh, that you know we don't really see a lot today. Maybe maybe with a fleet, you know, um, and stuff like that. So hopefully these guys do uh, are remembered in history for, for you know, the game, the games, and the, and the, and the chess pieces that they did. So yes, here here, I think so too. Right then, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show today. My name's James Troopany. You can find me on Twitter at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show, and you can find the show on Facebook at The Troopany Show, as well as Patreon, where you can keep the show free forever for everyone. I'd like to thank Mr. Marcus Green. You can find him at Paradox Kid on Twitter. Always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure, never a chore, Mr. Green. We appreciate your input, as always. Take care. We will have the return of telling stories, I promise, this week. I've been a bit busy trying to get all the things sorted out whilst I've been off. 
Um, but I will do a telling stories and make sure that you get to hear that this week. And perhaps I'll probably record two or three tomorrow. I'm on a big recording session tomorrow, so we're going to get loads of stuff done. I would also say that Dara and Dave will be back in their regular Wednesday slot. Don't know what they'll be talking about. They never tell me. They just send me the send me the audio and say, here, here's greatness. <laughs> but it is always really funny. I hope you enjoyed last week's show. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.